You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. The red light's on, Kirk. The button has been pushed. You know, that's a very Midwestern way to start. You know. <laughs> you didn't quite have that dialect, but. You know, dear, we uh, we did a podcast while you were gone, <laughs> Collie and I, and I was was planning that he was going to talk first, and then I was going to cut him and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. The way we started training Tuesday is that the buttons have been pushed or the red light's on. Mm-hmm. And I press go and he goes, well, the red light's on, Bracken. He knew. He knew. He knew. And I think anybody who would guest host on this podcast would know that you need to acknowledge the button has been pushed. The button's been pushed. Uh-huh. Well, here we go. We're back to, um, I guess it's a training Friday that we want to call this today. Every day is Tuesday. That's my motto. Every day is Tuesday. We thought today we would um, we would kind of reverse order since we got a little long with our Tuesday episode, and I, I guess I had a lot to say. So we're going to give you some real knowledge today to go off of, and then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program next week. That's cool with you folks listening. It's very cool with me, Kirk. <laughs> You're the one talking. I wasn't. I wasn't referring to you. Listen, I'm filling airspace. <clears throat> yeah, you sure are. I. Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, before we get rolling today. Um, uh, one for who the, like to those who listened on Tuesday earlier this week to that episode, um, and then to the uh, influx of support, which I knew there would probably be some Bracken. Um, I had no idea how much support I would get, and that has been super super meaningful. Um, every single word of every single message I have read, um, the personal stories shared with me, um, I, I, one, certainly don't feel alone and two, um, feel very loved and supported and, and three, feel like maybe speaking about it was the right decision based on, um, just some of the uh, conversations I've had thereafter. So thank you to those who reached out and listening and your understanding, um, been a, if I haven't gotten back to you yet, I'm sorry, Bracken. I stopped counting um, at 200 personal messages in the middle of the day yesterday. I, I don't know where it's at now, but um, very, very, very meaningful. Appreciated. So thank you. Just want to get that out there. It's been wild. I I had reservations about if this was the proper time to discuss this. It was so new. Yeah. Uh, I just I wasn't sure how it would land. Because I wasn't sure if we had a collective, I mean, do you ever have a handle? But if we had a collective handle on even how to approach it. Well, well, we never know. We never know what the hell we're doing over here. We're just thinking it. I think that's, we've been open about that. I think it's very clear. I I think people really should know that there is no script to anything we do. (laughs) The first, what, three or four episodes, we'd have notes on paper. And then we realized, nope, we're just winging everything. So that's, that's, that is the way that this went as well. And we appreciate your support for it. But what it drove home to me is the, the number of messages we got that said, I needed to hear this. I had a talk with my significant other right away. 
mm-hmm. that they listened to it, they talked immediately. And so was it the right time for you and I? It's really hard to say. Only hindsight's going to say that. But the fact that immediately people had the ability to kind of self-identify with themselves or someone they loved means that like there was no way to do it any other timing than, than what it was. So mm-hmm. I appreciate the support. And I also appreciate people taking actionable steps off of this, because at the end of the day, that's what we want you to do with our words, right? Take yeah. actionable steps to become a better runner and if possible, a better person. And if this falls under the person side, then that is really, really fantastic for us. Yeah, I agree. And that the conversation, you know, to be honest, that wasn't my intent to, no, to necessarily reach people, it was it was a secret that was no longer serving me, and it was more for my own sake, as far as a like a confessional and um, and therapy, so to speak. So it it wasn't necessarily my intent. If I'm being completely honest, it was it was a, a heavy burden I was bearing that I just needed to strip myself of, and I thought the best way to do that was to be open about it. Um, it was partially selfish, you know. Uh, as most things we do in life are, if we really acknowledge that. But anyways, I did not expect, I guess, um, that big of an outpour due to it. So I'm very glad we did. You were a great moderator, Bracken. You were like the oh, Oprah, Kirk. Oprah Winfrey of the interview world. Brought me back to that, uh, what was it? The uh, You remember when Oprah Winfrey interviewed Lance Armstrong? It was a hard yes, thing I did. to talk about. And that was a, you were the Oprah Winfrey in that conversation. I'm certainly not the Lance Armstrong, but you understand what I'm saying. Well, I'm glad that it was closer to that interview than the Tom Cruise interview. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk some real? An abrupt gear change here, Kirk. <laughs> let's switch gears. Right from tears in our eyes to let's talk about that bass. I mean, well, that's a natural, natural transition in my opinion. So I'm going to give a little, a little background here. As everyone who listens knows, my brother was in from Budapest this last week and a half, and we worked out a lot together. We went on a lot of runs, and we got to talking and commiserating on our bodies not responding to running the way they used to. Mm-hmm. And we started rolling through these trails in Tosa, little twisty little single tracks, and he's 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 talking. And, and I'm sure people got the sense that he's a reticent talker, like meaning he you have to pull it out of him to get to what the good stuff really is. Um, he doesn't like to shine the the spotlight on him. In fact, he only hosted because he felt compelled to help me. He had no desire to speak on camera. And I'm sure you could hear throughout the episode, he built momentum and then started getting us some good stuff at the end. Um, not that not that it was bad throughout. That's obviously a terrible way of describing it. But anyways, you got to pull it out of him a lot. But on runs, he just like, he goes right into that and he starts rolling. And he talked about how he, when he was in Hungary, when he first went over there, he didn't know anyone. He doesn't speak the language. It's a really, really difficult language where they have like 10, 12, 14 character words that mean phrases. It's just like a, it's a very difficult thing to learn. And he didn't have a job lined up yet. He was working remotely with the U.S. So it was always on a different time schedule. So he just decided to get in really good running fitness, but it had been years and he was coming off injuries. So he did something like five straight months of 50 to 70 mile weeks. And at the beginning, he did a time trial and he ran something like 1722. And at the end, he ran a time trial and he ran 1650. Okay. And he was really, really depressed, like running wise depressed. All that work for 30 seconds improvement at best. 
Yeah, because he knew his equation was bump my volume up and my times drop because speed was never an issue with us. Toughness was never really an issue during our race. It was, did we have the engine to sustain our speed? And what he realized and what we talked about on this run was he had finally gotten to the place where all that work he had done on his speed, on his anaerobic system, on his engine, it had finally faded and it was remote enough in the past that stacking on five, six months of good, solid running did not amplify his other skills because they weren't there to be amplified. Mm-hmm. Where in the past, if he had like in the middle of college or post-collegiately just thrown on five months of base, it would have amplified his speed to the point where he would have been dropping PRs. And I've, I've noticed the exact opposite, which is that I can throw on the blocks of training that I used to do. And then I can get to the point where I can still hit that workout. Like prior to Jacksonville, I could hit some of the workouts I used to hit, but there's nothing deeper than that. It's like slapping makeup on. You know, like get my hair done, put a ton of makeup on and I go out. But I know deep down, like I didn't put in the work in to walk this runway. I'm just like a shiny veneer. (laughs) That that is your, that is the first analogy you could think of is putting your makeup on and doing your hair of all people to make that analogy. I feel like if I threw on a wig and threw on some makeup, I would be a good looking man. (laughs) You're already a good looking man. You take away the bald, you take away the pale, like there'd be something there. But that wouldn't be me, right? That wouldn't be me. All right, right. This is a terrible analogy. No, I just, I got a kick out of that one coming from you in this circumstance. It it was, un, like I said, this was unplanned. This is just, sometimes I start a sentence, Kirk, and I have no idea where it's going. I'm trying to picture you with just like a little mascara mm. on right now, and I can't do it. Mm, little eyeliner. Continue. Anyways, point being, like there was nothing underneath. It was all show fitness. There was nothing that had built up because I had eroded my base over the years. And so whichever person you are, I feel like there is a need for a reset of the basic skills needed to run from time to time. And for me, and I know you're going to talk about the opposite end of the spectrum, but for me personally, it is where I have finally eroded my base that I've built up over the years. You know, I put in my 10 years of aerobic training, but I've now gone three and a half years without ever spending an off season building a true base a foundation Mm -hmm. of fitness in order to stack sexy workouts upon, or even just like standard casual workouts upon. There's nothing to stack. I have no foundation. Well, what it really comes down to, I think with this conversation and what it's all going to revolve around is like the word stagnancy. Mm -hmm. You have reached a point in your training in your fitness and your progression where you feel like one, you're not getting any better. And heaven forbid at this point in the season, I think a lot of you are out there thinking, I might be worse than I was three months ago, or even in the spring, six months ago, how did this happen? And like, what do I do about it? Like, where do I pivot right now? We've, we've done all the flashy workouts. We even speaking opposite of your personal situation, we did base build in the off season. Then we did our tempo and threshold work. And then we did our progressions with speed and our compromised OCR work. If you're an OCR athlete, And now I've done it all. I've played all my cards. All my chips have been put on the table for the last few months racing and training. And I don't know where the heck to go right now. And all I feel like is all my hard work is getting me nowhere anymore, or I'm even slipping. And you could come at that, you know, both sides of the coin as, oh, I never built my base, or I've only done base work, or I've done it all and I'm still stuck. Like, 
I think it comes down to one word and that's like stagnancy. And it doesn't matter how you got there, but it's like addressing that component late in the season and like what the heck to do. Yeah. Yeah. And this is almost like the uh, concept of um, perishable skills, except we're not talking skill work. We're talking actually systemic engine work. And so I'd like to start with mine because I'm selfish, right? We just talked about you, Kirk. Can we get back to (laughs) me? (laughs) Yes, we can. I would prefer it actually. And if I only say five words the rest of this podcast, it will go, have gone well in my eyes. So the floor Uh, is yours, Brackenstein. Well, it has become very apparent that I've eroded my foundational fitness, where the things I used to do are no longer being done to the point where they're no longer accessible. So the last time I really built a true base was in Colorado. When I first went out there. Well, what year was that for, for context? So people know what year are we talking? I'm talking 20. Oh my goodness, Kirk, this might be longer than I thought. The last true base building would probably have been 2015. Okay. So it's been six years. 2014, 2015, I did both. I did it back to back years. And can you just real quick, not to interrupt before you even start, but when we talk base building, when you say you took a block and did true base building in like your eyes, what are you talking about? So I did not script a quality workout for at least two to three months. So we're talking eight to 12 weeks where I just lowered my pace down and tried to stack volume on top of volume on top of volume, aerobic runs. I had basically three places I was running the first time I did it. I had this Black Forest loop in section 16 over by where VJ lives and trains now. And it was horse trail and it was awesome. It was soft, wood chipped. I could I could double there. I, three days a week, I'd double. I'd do eight in the morning, I'd do four in the afternoon. That was my, you know, so suddenly you're, you're already sitting at what? What is that? 36 miles? Yeah. And then the other four days, I'd I'd head up in the mountains and I would just do 90 minutes, not really grinds, not really slogs, but just moving. The only, the only thing that would ever be close to quality is if I felt like running an incline that I should be hiking at. Got it. So there were times where my heart rate would rise up a bit. And then the only thing close to skill work was running fast down a hill. And some of those runs, but that was it. And I'd spent, you know, I was hitting fifties and then sixties and then 70 mile weeks. And I did that again the next year in the off season, but for shorter for six weeks yeah. because I had kept a, a strong fitness regimen going throughout there. Maybe it was eight weeks that next year, but I went back to back years where I did 50, you know, 60 to 70 mile weeks back to back to back to back to back to back. But these are with 10 to 20,000, 12 to 20,000 feet of vert each week as well. So that's really more like time on feet wise. It's like 80, 90 mile weeks. If you were flat ground, less pounding, but time on feet equivalency. So I just spent a lot of time building my aerobic capacity up in the mountains and on those trails. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear. Like when we do talk, I know we've talked about base building and all of that, but just for reference, when you're about to tell everybody that you haven't done anything close to that now in the last five or six years, I just think that's important to understand. Like that's kind of what we're talking about when, we're talking about base building is that like, like I'm going to go out and run and I'm purposefully not going to script intervals or fart licks or anything, just simply just getting that heart pump and getting those legs moving and doing it consistently without trying to peak in any sort of realm with your fitness. So just wanted to lay Yeah. That. And I would get to a point where I kind of existed in a constant state of semi fatigue. Yep. I wasn't doing quality, but I was always tired because I was running a lot. I was doubling three times a week minimum and I would sneak in extra work 
when I could, because I was trying to hit 70 mile weeks, which again, in the mountains is a little different than on the flats. It was, I mean, hours were always up in 15 hours a week style of, of just running, which is a lot of, that's a lot of running of of just pure running. So then I went into this cycle of sharpen for races. I'd go through my, my quality progressions and then I'd get injured and then I'd jump back into it with a semi-quality progression into a quality progression and then either race well or have something flare up. And I basically have done that since 2017, mm-hmm. I would say 2016, some some version of that. So now we're looking at six years, really, without a true base. And a couple of times in there, I'd, I'd go like, all right, I just have to reestablish my ability to run. And so I do two weeks of, of just solid base building. And then a race would pop up on the horizon and I'd shift into the threshold block right away. Yeah. And so I, I never, I always kept undercutting those, uh, the, the, the base building stages because I was always on a, a time crunch to get to what was next. And the closest I then came to base was really when I did that ultra build to run my first 50 K and then to run, um, the Tahoe ultra. And that was the closest thing to base because I had quality throughout that, but it was long tempos and long hill work with volume. Mm-hmm. So that was the closest I came to establishing some base. But other than that, I mean, that was really one time in the last six years where I spent an extended amount of time doing less speed work and more just steady running. And what I found is that every time I repeated a block of training that I knew worked for me, I got less out of it. Yeah. I could maybe hit my metrics I was supposed to hit, but I couldn't perform off of them. And it finally just sunk in that my base is gone and eroded, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is randomly jumping into beast races. Is that why you're doing what you're doing? Well, that was a scared straight moment. Yeah. That was find out exactly where all these like sinkholes in my fitness lie. It was a smart move to do that, by the way. I'm just ribbing you. Yeah, it was, it was embarrassing and I wish I would have used a fake name, but like Kraken Brocker. Yeah. Like Cobbert Rillian. Ooh, I like that one. (laughs) But but I came out of there knowing, all right, this is exactly all the things that have eroded throughout the years. So a long-winded explanation for why, A, it's near and dear to me, and B, what that looks like. I'm getting to the point where I can stack the workouts I used to stack, but I'm not stacking them upon anything. It's like you always talk about the wider the foundation, the taller the building you can build. Correct. Well, I'm trying to put up walls, and I'm trying to put up load-bearing with no foundation present in the faintest just hint of wind knocks a wall down and then I'm scrambling over trying to rebuild that wall and then something knocks down another wall. You know, I'm constantly trying to rebuild the pieces that are supposed to be built later in the process. So, so that's where it stands. And I think a lot of people get to that point. If you don't take it an intentional base rebuild consistently. Yeah. I think we should heavily dive down that path before we dive down sort of the opposite, which would be some of the things I talked about where you have done everything right. And you're still kind of stuck. Um, and I think a lot of people, man, like I think, and I'm just shooting from the hip here, but I wouldn't be surprised if well over half of our listeners never have done a real true base build ever because in the sport, whether it's a road race, a trail race, OCR, there's races popping up all the time. The season is now 12 months long and people like to race. People like to get out there and they've never taken the true time to go and actually do what is foundationally necessary. And if they do, they've cut it short, just like you have. And these athletes Mm -hmm. in general, and I have some of them, um, 
you know, they're racing through December and then they start back up again in January and there's no real time to, to actually lay the foundation you're talking about. And what happens is you end up, if you are getting any better season to season, it's so incremental, right? And then you look at these athletes, you look at athletes, you know, like let's say a Johnny Luna Lima who broke out in 2019, or you look at people like Ryan Shadig or uh, Rylan who, who had a great breakout performance before he got injured this year and many others I'm forgetting, but um, you go back and you talk to them and you say, what did you do? And they, and they all say like, well, I started putting in the work consistently and I had a great block of training where I just crushed it for three months and you didn't see them race for a huge chunk of time. Nobody that's come out and broken through, like truly broken through fitness or racing barriers have done it like, oh, I've been racing all year. And suddenly in August, I just popped one. You never, ever, ever see that. You see somebody disappear, go into hibernation, so to speak, not really know what's going on. And then they emerge out of their cocoon, this like beastly butterfly. You Mm -hmm. never see it with the people who are racing every week or even maybe every month. You see it from those people who take the time to invest in themselves, forget about racing for a little while and fricking put in the work. Do you know what I'm saying? Those are the ones you see that actually make those jumps. So I'm just a testament from like the outside to what you're saying. Yeah. Like if you look at history and you look at who's done that, they've all spent time in quotes base building. Yeah. And then if you look at the people who do race frequently, but get better year to year, they're the people that willingly sacrifice fitness early in the year for races. I look at Atkins and, and Lindsay, Ryan and Lindsay, they race a lot. Ryan loves to race loves to travel, loves to race, freakish recovery ability. And they both, I'm assuming, really love to earn money from sponsors and podiums. And they're in a position to do so. So they race a ton. But how many times have we seen them slightly human looking or even their body composition looks a little bit different? Or you look at their Strava and you realize, I can't, I can't target anything they've done quality in the last two months. They're just like, it looks like they're playing in the mountains. It's because they are. Now, Ryan's very scripted about how he how he programs, but he's very free-flowing in his ability to not let himself be tied to a race. He'll show up off three weeks of work for a Jacksonville, despite having done the previous nine weeks of just pure mountain fun, because yeah. he understands I can be sharp now or I can be sharp later, but I cannot be sharp all year round. So he relies on his massive base of fitness, his huge engine to make up for deficiencies in sharpness. And I think that's something that we could all take to heart. And it's the reason why we see some people fade in the second half of races and others not. It's either that you're going out too hard or that your volume of training is not high enough. Those are really Mm -hmm. the only two pieces that, I mean, you can get into nutrition and, and workout types, but if your volume's big enough and you don't go out hot, you're not going to fade in races. Yeah. And those two do not fade because they have the biggest volume of base in the entire sport. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, I guess just speaking to the racing often and still progressing would be, I, I mentioned him quickly, but Robert Killian, um, not as much this year with his life circumstances, but um, I mean, how many years in a row, at least the last two where he was racing really well, he raced a lot, but he knowingly wasn't doing the workouts to get himself fit and he timed it well and the races were kind of his workouts and he would go back into pseudo base fitness until it was the right time to give him the right workouts in which he knew propelled his fitness and then he became a world champ after the odds were stacked against him after a season in which he almost seemingly didn't perform up to his abilities until the day 
and mm-hmm. then he did. And so I agree with that. Holding back in training, even if you are one of those who love to race, purposefully towing the start line, knowing you're only 80% of your best, but doing it by design, that is a way around that. So I'm glad you brought that up. I was doing some reading this weekend. I've mentioned on here before, I really respect the way triathletes approach their training in that they have the ability to compartmentalize and work multiple forms of fitness and they do a crazy amount of volume and intensity. Now, I don't think that most of us could ever match what the high-end triathletes do, but I was reading about the Brownlee brothers, Alistair and Johnny, who are Olympic medalists, Olympic and world champions, and they train, Kirk. They train. But they were talking about their pre-competition block of training. So this is before they sharpen. And they were talking about how they do... Uh, eight, he, he's currently doing eight runs per week. Okay. Yep. Following it. Four to six bikes and five swims. Wow. A long run, a long bike, run intervals, a track session, two quality swim sessions, and then a sprint speed, uh, swim session. So just a crazy amount of work. And that's Is what he a- re- Ironman distance or what are they typically? Olympic distance. So targeting right around two hours of work, which really is our sport, right? Correct. Be able to race one to two hours. The caveat there before, before you go, I'm sure you'll address this, but one is what we call no impact. Swimming is zero impact and bike is Mm -hmm. low to minimal impact. So you just have to factor those things in. Yes, they're still going to add up to overall fatigue and such, but um, I think a lot of runners, it's easy to think like, oh my God, that many workouts. If I ran that many times per week, that's like 20 runs a week. If I'm only running, mm-hmm. that's impossible, but just something to consider. But nonetheless, that's probably 20 to 30 hours a week of work. Maybe 30 to 35. 30 to 35. And he addresses that most people can't do this. And you have to realize what he did to build up to that point over the course of a decade. Um, but let's just take his running apart from all that. Let's get rid of his couple hundred miles of biking and his 25k of swimming each week. He runs eight times per week and has two quality sessions in a long run. Like that's a big running week for a normal runner, let alone stacking two more disciplines on. So the point is those, those athletes prioritize quality and quantity as much as anyone. But he closed the article out by saying, but at the same time, if you're under the gun, it becomes tough to get it all in. He said, so let's say I have six months to a race and I have races along the way. I'm a perfectly happy man if I can spend three months of build, of just global build, two months of semi-quality work, and then I just need four weeks. If I can get four weeks of really intense race-specific work, I'm going to get about all of it that I'm going to get out of it. But it's interesting that if he only had six months to prepare for the Olympics, which sounds six months is a lot, but that's not that much time when you're talking about a world championship. He spent the first three doing base building and and sports-specific base skill work. He prioritizes that that much, and he's already spent 10, 15 years building his engine. So I think it's important to realize that even the best in the world, if they were given a timeline, would still start with a rebuild. Always. Rather than saying, I have six months to really extend my speed, he's going, all right, I'm going to spend two months, maybe three, reestablishing my fitness. And to find comfort in that, and I can speak to that personally, I was never the greatest cross-country runner in college. You know, I there were many better than myself. 
but we would go into summer training doing what we call base building. Literally coach would just say, hit roughly this mileage. If you're a freshman, hit this, if you're a sophomore or junior, hit this, if you're a senior, just hit those numbers by the end of the week. So for two to three months in the summer, you just put your shoes on, you go out run with no agenda. That's what we did in college. No agenda. Just put in the mileage, get a long run in, hit 70 miles a week and don't do anything specific. And you know what happened? We showed up to practice that last week in August and our first race was probably two weeks later. It happens quick. And two of my seasons, my best race was in the first two races of the year as far as uh, time performance goes. And then I just kind of muddled out with subtle improvements the rest of the year. Maybe on more difficult courses, so the time didn't show through or anything like that. But the point is, is even after two to four weeks of adding in quality work, and that might just be tempo and threshold. We might have done thousand meter repeats or two mile repeats. And after two to four weeks, I go and basically hit within percentage points of my ceiling for that season. And I made a really quick jump those first two to four weeks in my fitness once we added that stuff in. But then it was just details. It was like, it doesn't take you as long as you think to get sharp if you've laid that foundation first. And I like that that he was open about that. I forget his name, the triathlete you just spoke of. But yeah, the Brownlee brothers. The Brownlee brothers. But I experienced that every damn year in college. And it's just like we get caught up in flashy workouts and getting speed and feeling fast. When I showed up to practice at the end of the summer, did I feel fast? No, nobody really did. Yet four weeks later, I'm running as fast as I ever have by simply sprinkling in two quality purposeful workouts a week. Just like a testament, your body would probably react the same way. And so it's just like, I think it's really important for people to hear, man. Like, it's okay to go back to the basics for a while because it's just going to propel you forward once you sprinkle in the, the good stuff, as we call it. Of course. And he, his uh, final st- sentence about his training block was that, and my view on mileage and volume is to do as much as you can possibly do while still getting those quality sessions in. And I think that was a really important takeaway is that you do as much as you can possibly do while still hitting everything you need to hit. And I'm including life in there because we're all amateurs for the most part. There might be a few pros that listen to this, but for the most part, we're amateurs. We're enthusiasts. And so not just hitting the quality sessions, but hitting the quality of life is what matters. But you fill your volume up until that line. Mm-hmm. If you can, and he, and he said something in there, like if you can hit 14 to 16 hours per week at your peak, it's better to hit 12 to 14 year round than to hit 14 to 16 for three or four weeks and have to take a break because you're, you're barely able to sustain. But mm-hmm. so again, even the top athlete in the world at his sport understands that consistency over craziness and volume and base over always doing sexy workouts. Yeah. And triathletes race a lot. A lot. They have the ITU circuit. They have all these different half, uh, half try because these guys will jump into half Ironman and they pay well to enter it and they pay well to win and sponsors always like when you show up places and they pay you for it. So they race a lot, but they adhere to the principles of, of doing it correctly. Well, let's speak to the people sitting there listening right now who are in your boat then Mm -hmm. the ones who realize like, Oh shit, like I've been doing quality work the entire year. Every week I've been racing every few weeks. I realize, like, I don't even know when the last time I base built was. I, I got to imagine there's quite a few people in that camp listening right now. So let's give them the tangibles, man. 
what they've been waiting for. What do we suggest they do? I would challenge everyone to a 10-week base build. I'd love to say 12, but 12 starts to be a bit much because people want to race. Is this a personal challenge to yourself? Are you challenging yourself to this? Well, I'm doing that. Okay. Yeah, I'm already I'm already a couple weeks into that. I, I think that 10 weeks is a good number. Six to eight is fine, but I think once you get to 10 to 12, you start to really cement what the work that you've done. You start to notice you're different. Mm-hmm. And and there's going to be some instant like, whoa, 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 reaction to that. But no, I, I want to challenge you to, if you think this might be you, commit to 10 weeks. And I don't care what you have coming up. If you have something soon, then bump it back two weeks and then start up. But there are some rules to this. The first is that you must run easy 80% of the time. We'll call it even 70. Give yourself that one day, maybe two a week when you go out and you're super light on your feet for some reason. If you want to sink your teeth into that, still a steady run. But if you want to sink your teeth and do it, go ahead. That's what you're saying. I'd say two days per week, two out of every seven, or run as you feel. I really like run as you feel in base build. And I do it during my, my medium long run and my long run, which is how I, I do my base. I have four days of steady. I have one medium long run and I have a long run. And on those medium long and long runs, I run as I feel. If I start feeling a little uh, a little bouncy in the middle, I'm going to roll a little bit. And if I stop feeling good, then I'm going to back off. And I, I, I just roll with how I feel. Yep. The next rule is, If you want to keep pushing that finger closer to the panic button or the abort button, you don't do it. You instead replace that desire with skill work. You can do as many strides as you want. You can do three, four, five, eight strides after every single run, all base build if you want. I don't think you need to do it every day. You can do some mechanical speed work. You can start your easy day with maybe three by 60 seconds at the best stride you can maintain with long rest in between, and then go get your easy 40 minute run done. You can finish up a run with four by 200 meters fast with 200 meter walk jog, but they are not workouts. They are little skill work. If you are, if you have mountain work coming or mountain races, do your volume on Hills and leave no Hill behind run steady and easy on everything and flow down every single Hill. Get that skill work done. If you have OCR coming up, do some aerobic carries. Do a ton of grip work and core work. Do a lot of lunging before or after workouts. But we're not doing quality sessions at all during these 10 weeks. And I challenge you to complete it every single day. And and then on the other side, see what happens. One thing that will make me want to push the abort button during this phase, it always does, is you just don't feel that fast. You feel slow. You almost feel like sometimes you almost feel like you're losing fitness. You feel like you're in that, as you mentioned, that mild grade fatigue all the time. You never feel great. Sometimes you feel awful just because the volume of work being done. But one thing you certainly don't feel like is fast. And and all you want to do is go hit some quarters or some mile repeats or something to just like move the needle a little bit. And I've always wanted to hit the abort button when I'm just like, I'm just I'm falling into the same pace every day. I'm feeling sluggish. My stride feels short and not efficient. That happens sometimes in this phase. Yes. And you need to be prepared. Like, hey, this isn't your new fitness. I promise you sprinkle in two, three weeks of purposeful work after your base. And you're going to be shocked with what your body does. Just it's a liar right now. 
So it's okay to feel slow. It's okay to feel sluggish. It's okay to feel meh every day because that's kind of like what this phase feels like. So I just want to get that out there because that's going to make you want to push the abort button faster than anything. Just feeling slow. Yeah, it's the most boring phase of running you'll ever go through. And I really suggest finding an audiobook series or some good podcasts and and go to that. I go through audiobooks. I'll listen to a series of books because they keep me going. Yeah. However, I now I I ex, I need people to go in expecting to feel sluggish and tired because that's the way to embrace this. But if you do enough skill work, if you do enough strides and short fast runs, um, of like, again, 30 to 60 seconds, no more than three or four reps with long rest in between. That's not a workout. But if you do enough of those, you will start to feel pretty efficient and economical by the end of this. You might even surprise yourself and come out of it feeling like, I think I could race pretty decent off this. But going back to our previous conversation uh, from Tuesday, the uh, the slash and burn technique, this is the the opposite route. This is going out and just casually tilling your fields and making sure all your rows are straight and then laying down a good, firm, thick layer of manure. And when you're doing that, you're looking at your fields and they are barren and they smell terrible. That's kind of how you are during this time. You feel barren and you feel just like poop. And you're implying that everybody also stinks. (laughs) They might think you do. But what's going to happen is the moment you plant the seed and you water it, the ground is so fertile for growth. And that's what base building does is it allows you to then plant some really good cash crops down in there. And they are all going to grow because the ground's prepared for them to grow. They're going to grow fast. They're going to grow fast. They're going to grow strong. They're going to grow tall. The better you prepare that ground, the better that crop's going to take. So you're telling me base building really is just like spreading a nice thick layer of manure over your own fitness. Yep. (laughs) Sounds really appealing. Spend a few weeks just slogging through poop, Kirk, and then you come out the other side and your crops are growing. Wow. I I found. So it takes faith. It takes intent. And if you are a short uh, attention span person, it takes a lot of skill work throughout there. Okay. I can get on board with that. I like that analogy. But you will be different. That is what launches you forward. You can only sustain your speed for as long as your aerobic capacity allows you to. Yeah. And this is why milers and 800 meter runners run 60 to 80 miles per week. They're running a one and a half to three and a half, four minute race. And yet they're going to spend 15 hours a week running. Why? It's not because the volume is needed to to finish a mile. It's because that engine is needed to maintain and support your speed throughout a race. Mm -hmm. That is what's needed. And so these are the pieces that frame out how fast you're going to be once you add in your fast work. You just can't absorb it unless you've done the prerequisite work. That was uh, much better than your makeup analogy. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> In case you're wondering. Uh, and I think, I think again, the point getting across, another big point to just be honed in on, which we've touched on, is um, this is non-discriminatory as far as what is on your calendar. Meaning, you have a race on a Saturday. I always attend the SoCal race in the beginning of the year. Great. You can still do that right now if you would like. 
but that might mean you've done easy runs or steady runs the entire week leading up. And you're just going to go out there and it is what it is right now. Mm -hmm. You can, they can point the finger or laugh at you now, but just wait till it really matters. So to speak, you know what you're doing, you know, your game. And so even if you have races on the calendar, even if you have something else coming up, like that's not an excuse to skip the fundamental phase of everything we do, which is like laying a foundation. I don't care if you have a race coming up. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter right now because you're going to be so much better off for just holding back and practicing self-restraint later on. So I just wanted to get that out there like for sure. It doesn't matter what you have on your calendar. Bracken says take 10 to 12 weeks. Well, I can't. I'm racing Florida in December. Uh-uh. You can and you should no matter what. Absolutely. And, th- and these are the things that springboard you year to year. Kirk, you already talked about this, but I want to drive home this point, which is that if you exist training block to training block, but they're shortened blocks, they're quality blocks, you begin to stagnate. And then we're going to get to that next. But this is the ability to prevent stagnation. You get as high as you can get throughout the year. You take a little off season, you build your base from where you left off, and then you build upon it rather than trying to spin your wheels over in the same rut that's been spun over again and again and again. This allows you to raise your game each and every season. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was outlining about people making these huge jumps yep. in fitness and their breakout seasons. Um, I guess you don't necessarily need to go into hiding, so to speak, for these 12 weeks. You could throw races in, you know, like we just talked about. But yes, exactly. You always build from the point you left off, but you're not going to build anything if you forget about your base again. You're just going to end up building from this thin, broken down crumble of yourself in which you've been doing Bracken in a sense. And that's why you haven't had necessarily the results you have had in the past when you reflect back and look at it. Is that correct? Yeah. And and even a year ago, I talked. And I want to, and sorry, and and we want to prep like injuries played into this. You've had a lot of surgeries. This isn't all by choice or design, but it factors in for you. But it shows how easy it is to get wrong. Like I talk about this for a living and I got it wrong. Because I a year ago, I was talking, I have poured through with, with these injuries, I've poured back through my training box. I've identified what did and didn't work, what I wasn't doing. And I started doing those things, but they didn't hit the same way because yeah. they weren't preceded by the same block of training. It was, it was, it was too narrow of a focus. I didn't realize how far it had gone. So now I want you to talk about your perspective, some of the athletes you deal with, some of the things you deal with yourself from time to time and the athlete out there who is. I've done everything right. I'm just stagnating. I'm stale. It's been a long year. I built my base. I built my threshold. I got race specific, but I'm just not improving anymore. Yeah. Which I think, God, I got to imagine. I know it seems a little early, first of all, to talk about base building. Like we're in September still when this episode is released. Like base building, I am still in my season now, but like planting those seeds now so you can have a plan, even if, even let's say you still want to sharpen for another or whatever, maintain high in fitness for the next month or two. I just think it's important to get out there now because some people will transition to that sooner than later. So, um, and then the, I think more people might find themselves in this boat right now, um, which is, yeah, I've hit dead ends. I, I don't know where to go. I've done my flashy mile repeats or quarter mile repeats a dozen times now this year. I've done how many tempo runs I can't even count. I've raced 16 times and my workout this week has gone worse than the workout, the same workout I did two weeks ago. And that workout 
went worse than the workout two weeks before that. And suddenly I don't even know what I'm drawing from anymore. And I'm going to go toe a start line feeling a little bit beat up, a little bit tired. And like, how am I falling out of shape, so to speak, when I've been doing everything right? And yet my results aren't showing it. And I think a lot of people fall into that camp right now. And so I just think that um, taking a step back and reevaluating like where you're at, if you're one of those people who feel like you've been in quotes, like wheel spinning for the last, however long could be all summer, you know, um, that's when you got to take a hard look. And, and I think, uh, I've referred to this. It's the first place I always go and I will, I will, you know, die on that rock. And that is, if that is you, you think putting in more work is like the right thing to do. You think like, oh, I need more quality work. I need to like, you know, sink my teeth even more into training. Uh, the answer is the opposite. You actually need to take a step back and give yourself a chance to just decompress for seven to 10 days, which means active recovery. That's the first thing. Even if you have a race coming up in two months and you're like, no, I got to keep my fitness going. I got this race I care about in two months. I can't take 10 days off right now. You are dead effing wrong. You absolutely can. In fact, taking 10 days off now might even improve your performance in that race 10 weeks from now. In fact, I know it will, especially if you're stagnated. So just chill. It's okay to chill. So that's the first place I go. I don't know. What about you? Well, I would say, let's go to Fred Clary and say, is this how the body works, right? Yeah, Fred. It is, it is a proven fact that you cannot efficiently build your aerobic and anaerobic systems at the same time. You never maximize both at the same time. That's for No, sure. you cannot maximize them both at the same time, which is why periodized training is a thing. If you could build both at the exact same time in a sustainable way that will get them both to the top, you wouldn't bother periodizing. You would do everything all the time and you just keep getting better and better and better and then rest a little bit and get better and better and better. But that's not how it works. So let's let's return to the uh, this maybe good, maybe bad field analogy. All right. Analogies sometimes can get um, oversimplified, so I'm, but I'm going to oversimplify here. Think about the, the concept of tilling the earth and preparing it for the, the planting. Now think if you try to do them both all at the same time. Like I'm going to plant and I know I've got to address this. So in a few weeks when the plants aren't growing well, I'm going to till it again. You can't do that. You can do some work to it. You can lay more manure down. You can put pesticide on it. Like you can do the maintenance, preventative maintenance work, but you can't actually change the soil deep down and churn it over once you've planted. You kind of have to wait for the crop to grow and then cut it down and then churn again at that point. And that's how this works. Like you can build your base very well when you're not doing speed work. But once you start doing speed work, you can't tack on a ton of extra volume because it erodes the speed work. You never recover from it. And then you're not getting the benefit of your workouts. So it's not that you're physically incapable of doing both. It's that they inhibit each other. Aerobic work is destructive. Anaerobic work is destructive. And when you do them back to back in high amounts, they just steal the regeneration time from each other. And that's really the, the issue here. And so you have to time out when you do what. And if you're starting to stagnate, it means... I've probably been away from my aerobic foundational work for long enough that my aerobic capacity has dropped a bit. Like it's at the end of the summer, the soil is dried out. We haven't had a lot of rain. It's just, it needs a refresher. And the only thing you can really do is to take a little time away, 
do a quick rebuild of your soil and then get back to it again. And that's where it differs in that you can't halfway through cut your crop down and restart. But with our, with our fitness, we can, Mm -hmm. we can take 10 days off or five days off and then do, all right, I'm going to do two weeks of, of base building and then some more threshold work. And then I'll get back to it. We heard it with uh, Stephanie Garcia when they go over to, to Europe to race for six weeks. They're doing their racing hard and then they're doing more threshold work and, and some aerobic work in between because they need to regenerate a little bit. They can't steal from each system back and forth for six weeks. It's not sustainable. Does that, is that too rambling or is there some, no, you are, some sense of... I'll summarize it for you, but you are speaking some truth, man. This is, this is I'll just simplify it for you. You've been harvesting your crops all year. You look out at the field and there's nothing left. Oh, You've harvested it all. What do you do at that point? You till, you manure, you let it rest and you let it regenerate so you can grow some more crops. You can't grow more crops without taking that down period in between. There's no crops left for you to harvest. What are you going to do? You got to start over. By starting over, that regeneration phase is super important. Hit the reset button. Seven to 10 days of jack shit, nothing scripted. That's what I prescribe all my athletes. Seven at minimum, I prefer 10 because is that how the body works as we say? We work in like week and a half to two week, three week cycles. Give yourself some real time. Go for walks, sure. Go for easy bike rides, play with your kids, go on hikes, go on that camping trip or backpacking, some of those things that get you moving but without a plan and chill. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's uh, like I said, look at your field. You've, you've thrown all the, you've, you've done all the things you've thrown everything at the wall and see if it's stuck. You've harvested every little corn stalk on that field. And that's why there's nowhere to go. So you got to start over. I love that analogy. That's probably one of your better ones of all time. Well, you want to take it one step further. Should we see this analogy right off the edge of the cliff? I'm on the edge of my seat bracken. Farmers have to plant alternative crops every few seasons. Yep. Because the crops pull the same nutrients from the ground. So let's say you plant wheat every single year. Eventually, wheat has depleted the ground of what it needs to grow healthy, and you start getting diminishing returns on your crops. They don't you don't get as many as as much growth. It's not as dense, it's not as as vibrant, and eventually you have to plant a different crop to give the ground a break. And it, the the soil literally regenerates itself from something else being there and not being sucked dry from that one pipeline over and over and over. Yep. And that's the same thing with us. You just can't keep planting speed work over and over and over and expect to keep getting the same return on your investment. Eventually, you've got to regenerate your soil with some aerobic capacity work. And then the speed work will take hold again and it's going to grow strong again. But you, you know, it's like the... You have to do less to do more sometimes. You have to give it a break in order to be able to do more in the future. Slamming it with more eventually just depletes the, the, the soil and you can't use it anymore. And eventually you can farm out a field. It can get to the point where you just have to take a couple of years off a field because there's nothing you can do for it. And that's mm-hmm. the point we don't want to get to as athletes. We don't want to get to the point where we are just so overwrought, so overtrained, so past the point, like I, I would say where I am not overtrained, but so past the point of having any discernible base that you just got to start over. You don't want to get to that point. Yep. The classic uh, Midwest alternate soybeans and corn every other year. There you go. Look out your window. If it's corn this year, it'll be soybeans next year. Those farmers know what they're doing. Every three, four, five years, you're going to see nothing in that field. 
because they know better. Yeah. That's your rest period before they, you know, you grow, you grow something good again. So I like that analogy. That's super helpful. And, and not that I just want to, I want to throw only like, Hey, the only answer is rest. I know. I think we've harped on that, but I think it's super critical, especially if you've been on your feet all year in some capacity in college, we would take two or three of those. And we were athletes who basically lived to run. That's how we chose our schools. That was the basis of our thinking throughout every single day. It's all we cared about. Um, and we still took two mandatory breaks of seven to 10 days a year, sometimes three, depending on how the seasons played out. And those are people who are dedicating everything. We didn't have families then. All we cared about is our run performances. And maybe some of us cared about our GPAs. We still took those breaks because they mattered. And so I think hounding, hounding that is important. And I know we've done it on previous episodes, but like you can't get away from it right now. Sometime between now and December, if you've been racing all year, if you do not take 10 days, seven to 10 days off, you're an idiot. There, I said it. You're a damn fool because you will be worse off if you don't. Yeah. And, and I think we're speaking specifically to the crowd who has an early spring race, who has a late fall marathon has been grinding or is OCR based and is looking at December world championships. Correct. You cannot sustain year round, but if you, it, I mean, it comes back to pay now or pay later. You can have a mediocre race by grinding straight through, or you can take a little mini reset right now and be on fire for December. In 2019, I had one race where I felt like I could have ran with anybody. Anybody in the country, anybody in the world, that was my day. I could have run with anybody, I feel like, including the Atkins of the world. Do you want to know what race that was? It was measly little, the Minnesota Spartan race. And you know what I did? That was my fourth week back to running after 10 days off. Hmm. My fourth week back to running after 10 days off. And I went out there. I don't think it mattered who was there. I had so much more in my tank and I still won by a minute and a half. And I was in a sprint and four weeks. In fact, it was three weeks and five days or something because I needed to regenerate. And that's how much it paid dividends. Best race. You wouldn't think that after four weeks of returning to running, but I had been putting in work for so long before that, that I'm not going to lose all that. I just needed to chill. So I think we've harped on that enough, right? Unless you have something else you want to add to that. The next thing I want to move to is just let's say you're one of those who have a couple important races coming up. Maybe you did a good job or you got injured or something earlier in the year and you're happy to be running, but you are plateaued. Okay. You're going to take our advice and take some time off at some point by the end of the year. Good. But you're not quite ready to do that yet, but you're still stagnating. I get like not everybody's just going to listen to this episode and scratch their training block and be like, screw it, I'm Mm -hmm. done. Right? Like we don't have that kind of power over people. So um, the next thing, and this is a lesson I'm learning very hard right now, um, is, well, there's one X factor that you guys aren't thinking about. And that X factor is called the little thing. It's called all of those little nuances, all of those things that don't seem to matter that you've been glossing over. For me, personally, um, my alcohol was holding me back and has been holding me back. Uh, Today, when we're recording this, I'm 15 days without a drink, and I can already tell in my fitness bracket. Yesterday, I ran 16 miles at 632 pace or something with an average heart rate of 142, okay, 143. I can look at my Strava. There is no way in hell I would have done that three weeks ago under my current circumstances. Drinking was affecting my metabolism. Clearly it was affecting my sleep. It was affecting my nutrient absorption. It was affecting everything. Now take a hard look at your life and say, okay, 
Like, what are those little things for me? Is that hitting the snooze button twice a week and I'm missing some runs? Is it, I have not been doing my mobility work at all because I've lost sight of that. Am I grabbing convenience food instead of food that actually nourishes me? And then you can start splitting hairs at this point. And I'm telling you, the only thing I've done different in a season in which I felt stagnated, my last race performance wouldn't tell you that I was anything special in Asheville. I'd go kick my own ass right now. Even right now, 15 days removed from my last drink. I know I would. And so think about those things with you, like the little things. Can I dial, can I turn the dial just a little bit on whatever I've identified and maybe squeak out some percentages of performances I didn't know was in there because I haven't been sacrificing what I need to sacrifice to do so. Mm -hmm. And that's a big piece that I think people might be getting at to you. have fallen into the habits of your training. It's been a long season. You've skipped your mobility work. You've skipped doing all those little things that you were all intent on doing in the beginning of the year. Like go back and think about those things and squeak out another two months out of your season before taking a break. I want people to think about that. I like that a lot. This is the time of year where magnesium is probably starting to be a little off. Vitamin D is going to start to trail off. A, you've been working hard. B, we're starting to get less sun. Maybe reprioritizing an extra half hour, an hour of sleep a night. Are we really doing core and our hip mobility as intensely as we had in the beginning of the year? You're right. Those are the little things that can really, at the end of the year, it comes down to percentage points. Correct. Those can swing you a percentage point or two left or right. Well, I think especially if you feel like you're banging your head against the wall at this point, and you really do feel like, man, my metrics just haven't improved. Well, if you really believe you've been doing all the foundational blocks correctly, what, where is there left to go? Basically, your answers are this. Either take a break now and rip the Band-Aid off and sacrifice a week and a half of your happiness, because I understand taking a break sucks. Or, like, tighten the screws just a little bit. Not on even what you're doing. The content of your workouts doesn't necessarily even need to change. It's the other things when you're not working out. And so taking a hard look at that for me has been like, it's been very mm -hmm. eye-opening recently. Obviously mine was a big thing I needed to tighten, obviously big screw to tighten, but I think you get my gist there. So think about that with yourself. Well, I think that's a good place to end this one. We talked about the big global issues and then we ended with some very poignant, small actionable pieces. And really everyone's going to fall into one of three camps. The two we talked about today or the third, which is you're doing everything right and you're feeling like a rock star. In which case, use this as a little bit of like a, something in your rear view that it's not next to you yet, but there's a chance it catches up at some point. So start taking the preventative action to make sure it doesn't catch up to you. I absolutely agree. I can't, uh, nothing comes like top of mind that I want to add. I think we got my main points across. What about you? Well, this is going to surprise no one. I'm going camping in a few hours, so I got to go and load this baby up. Load up Arnie, load up Ruby, get hit in the trails. I have not named anything yet. Uh, I realize it's something you can't force. I was talking to Jess about it uh, yesterday, and it's, just, it's going to have to come to me. So I'll get back to you on naming. You may have a horse with no name. I may. And hey, uh, guys, if we put on a t-shirt sale, and then I kind of went dark on you, but Bracken, we've sold pretty much all of our inventory. We have, uh, I think we started with, with that sale. We had like, I had like six bins of t-shirts left and I'm down to less than one, which means uh, we get to go back to the lab and start playing a little bit with uh, t-shirt designs and what we're bringing. So if anybody has suggestions on what you would like to see, we've gotten a lot of suggestions about women's cut and tank tops. So far, 
Um, but if you have any other suggestions, just slide into our DMs. Let us know. I'd be curious because in the next month, I'd like to put in a new T-shirt order. So here's what I would like to do, Kirk. Well, you you always spring things about apparel on me without discussing it prior. I didn't spring anything on you yet. You've done that all the time. Like, hey, we're having a sale, folks. It's ten dollars. <laughs> Bracken, but- you better go make it happen. So I'm doing one here. All right. Yeah. All right. I like it. I want to see if anyone has some skill or some some idea that they've been they've been holding it back. I want I want user submitted designs. And if there's anything that we really like, we might slap it on a t-shirt and then on the website say created and designed by. I would love that. Seems like my t-shirt guys can do pretty much anything. So you get yeah. some sort of high quality image and I can do some of that. What we keep figuring out anytime we do some sort of topic is all these people come out of the woodwork where this is their realm. So I know we have some talented people that listen. So if you have a really awesome running public t-shirt design, send it. And then on a personal note, I'm starting to look into my racing apparel for next year. I want a really, really sleek, awesome looking racing top. So if you can design an awesome, really, really good looking running public racing top, I will, uh, I'll get it sublimated printed and I will race in it all year and give you credit, of course. Now, this may be narcissistic of me and I'm sure it is, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, if you recall, my girlfriend, Jess made a very artsy drawing of us next to each other. Yes. Um, I've wanted to put that on a damn t-shirt bracket because it's pretty dope in my opinion. Do you think anybody would buy that? Or is that (laughs) a picture of our two faces? On a t-shirt. It's an art- artistic sketch. No, it's a very good sketch. What do you think? Would that be too narcissistic of us to do? Or do you think they get some traction? My mom and your mom, for sure. I'd buy one. It's, is it cool to wear? A, I know it's not cool to wear your own t-shirt necessarily with your own branding. Uh, it, yes, it is. <laughs> but we're going to keep doing it anyways. But to wear a t-shirt with your own face on it, now that's next level. So we'll have to think about that. But we should pop that design up and see what people think. I've always said I'll know I've arrived when I see in public, not at like an airport going to a race, my shirt. Mm-hmm. It would be doubly so if it was my face on a shirt. Make dreams come true, people. Maybe we'll have to do that. All right. Till next time. Till next time. It's been good back getting back to business with you, Bracken. We're back at it. Indeed it is. See you soon. Mm-hmm.